In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports. Featuring For the Winds, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. The Counter, diving deeper into the NFL with advanced stats, film study, and expert guests. This is The Counter. Now, Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. Welcome to The Counter. It's Chris Corman here, joined by Stephen Ruiz. We are the NFL team for the for the win. Uh, yeah, Stephen. COVID has hit the NFL, man. It's, it's happened. I'm it's, surprised it's, it took this long, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, by the numbers, uh, it certainly seemed like, and especially what we saw with baseball, the only, the other major sport not played in a bubble, uh, you know, there were immediately issues for several teams. So it took this long, but uh, six, I think it was 11 overall uh, players or staff for the Tennessee Titans tested positive this week. And therefore, the game between the Titans and Steelers, one of the better games slated for this week has been postponed it's totally unclear when that game will be played those teams don't have the same bye week of course scheduled so whether it will be jammed in later or what is still being decided by the nfl but uh yeah i don't like you said i mean the results have been better than i think a lot of us expected but there's certainly cause for concern i think the fact that this played out this way yeah and i'm wondering why the it's easy to say now but why hadn't the league put aside time during the season to potentially play these makeup games like i don't understand why we couldn't have like a a week or two week break at some point in the season season just to you know keep this open as an option now there's going to be a bit of a scramble to kind of adjust the schedule and make things fair. Maybe they're just going to move the game. I don't know what's going to happen, but I don't see how this, I think either team's going to be able to cry like competitive balance as a result of this. Yeah. I, I loved the idea. I forget who floated it first. Uh, you know how ideas are on Twitter. It's very hard to trace back to figure out who the first person was, but it might have been Barnwell. Uh, but somebody said to cut out the extra week between the conference championships and the Super Bowl and just and push back the playoffs entirely and then you would have an extra week to play some makeup games if you need to uh and i mainly am saying this because i hate those two weeks between the super bowl it's good for us because we create you create a lot of very deep content you like you 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 delve so far into the content minds i hate this idea (laughs) because i will not sleep for a whole week because of this idea how dare you that is that is correct for you to do but uh come on man that those two weeks you're just like like, right. uh, I know. I agree. Uh, Plus all the things, the reason why we had those two weeks, like none of the festivities are going to be happening. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. There's not, I don't think people are going to be gathering for concerts at, uh, I frankly don't even know where the Super Bowl is this year. Like I, that's how disconnected I am from the future at this point. Cause 
we're all just like trying to live through the COVID era. Is it era. Los Angeles? I think it's Los Angeles. Uh, yeah, that sounds right. They have a they have a brand new stadium, right? Um, so yeah, this uh, you know um, certainly we're hoping that it's just a blip, but uh, the way I think I think I saw today that numbers are up month over month for COVID infections in like twenty seven out of fifty states. So. This thing is still out there and it has hit the NFL now and we'll hope that they can continue to find a way to to mitigate any outbreaks. Um, but for now, we are down Titans Steelers and that should have been a fun game. So um, we are going to look at a couple things today, actually. And one of those involves the Titans. Uh, Steven did a, a big post on Jadavion Clowney, who is one of the more uh, polarizing players, I think, in the league. And especially after this offseason, when he didn't sign immediately, uh, you know, that came into focus. But Steven took a deep dive on that. We're going to go over a couple other things just quickly that he looked at in one of our pieces, one of our weekly pieces that we do. That comes out on this comes out on Wednesdays, right? The cut up. Or did we? It, did it we has been Tuesday? Tuesdays, but we're going to move it to Wednesdays just because right. the film schedule. Yeah, yeah. So this is where Stephen takes a, a look at a couple different storylines and provides you basically does the work of what a coach would do if they were looking at an issue. You know, they would have some low level intern put up a bunch of you know pull all those plays. It's much easier now with digital, um, but pull all the plays that fit into that category, look at them and try to make deductions. Uh, so Steven does that each week and it's a great post. Um, and then we'll just look at the games ahead for the week, focusing on Patriots chiefs. Uh, the chiefs obviously uh, just completely dominated the Ravens and looked entirely unstoppable. Uh, you know, that was certainly was our reaction the next day. But Stephen has since dug in a little bit on how Bill Belichick has approached the Chiefs, how that matchup actually plays out. And he has some interesting findings. I mean, I think that there's, uh, you know, anyone who doubts Belichick is wrong, frankly. But uh, but his, Stephen has sort of honed in on why this is a good matchup for them, whereas Belichick has not really been able to figure out another quarterback, Russell Wilson, who is in the conversation for best in the league. Um, so that's a really fascinating uh, discussion, I think. I'm looking forward to digging in. And we, uh, Stephen hasn't even, we haven't published that story yet. We're still sort of in the midst of, of putting that one together. So you'll see how the sausage is made a little bit as we discuss this. Um, so let's talk about Clowney first. Jadavion Clowney, obviously not playing this week, but uh, the headline on our story is Jadavion Clowney is a nightmare for linemen. So why can't he sack anyone? An investigation. Uh, and this is where I envision you putting on your Sherlock Holmes cap. Uh, you you wanted it to be Hardy Boys. You were more of like a Hardy Boys. I'm more of a Hardy feel, Boys right? kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, who's your? You know, the Hardy Boys are like a team, right? Like they're brothers. I think. I'm both. <laughs> <You're>, <laughs> I'm both. <laughs> I, th I thought one of your brothers was just going to jump on the podcast all of a sudden and be like, "What's up? I'm I'm here." Um, but no, you're just both. That assumes that I talk to my family. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the Aaron Rodgers of NFL coverage, baby. <laughs> All right. All right. The podcast just got deep. We're going into family psychology now. Why does Steven not talk to his family? Uh, maybe, maybe we'll save that for an uh, off-season episode. <laughs> um, but Clowney, uh, like I said, he 
he was one of, if not, the, I mean, he was one of the biggest free agent names, period, uh, available in the offseason. And he was one of the last to be signed. He eventually ended up with the Titans. And a big part of that, as you point out, is that he only has 32 sacks in six full seasons, uh, you know, in which by any by by certainly old school football measures, you know, like when you and I were growing up, if there was a, a number one, an early round pick who was supposed to be a dominant rusher and he got 32 sacks in six years, you would say, you know, good, good work, Mike Mamula. You know, like you would, it would right. just you would think he was a bust. Chandler but, had 20 sacks last year. Right. Um, but we don't live in that era. We live in an era where we where people are tracking every play and where ESPN has a metric where they are determining who is winning on the rush, the pass rush win rate. Um, and Clowney grades out exceptionally well in those areas. Um, so. So tell me like sort of what you were looking at when you saw this, uh, you know, this is a huge discrepancy and you were trying to figure out why it ended up this way. Yeah. So whenever I see a stat like that, that I think is interesting, uh, I go to the film first and what I did was I cut up all of his pressures that he had and I just looked through them and I'm just watching trying to find a pattern. And it became obvious to me, like he'd never won when he did an outside, when he stayed outside of the tackle, he always beat the tackle inside. And that's probably because he doesn't have a really refined set of, of moves that he uses. He uses just like one, I don't even know what to call it. Like a, it's almost like a swim move where he, he knocks down the tackle's hands and then gets past him. But I thought, like, maybe that's the reason why. Like, he only wins inside. And I kind of – I looked at it uh, – I looked at the methodology for ESPN stats. And when doing that, I, I realized that he also led ESPN stats in double-team rate. And I – like, over the offseason, I looked into protections and I studied protections. And that's right. when I realized, like – Double teams don't really happen strategically. Right. A they lot. happen sort of, yeah, they happen sort of organically. The, right. The, the defensive player makes them happen essentially in some way. Yeah. So I, I thought maybe that's, maybe he's running into double teams rather than commanding them. He's like, it's not a respect thing. It's just that Clowney goes inside. So he runs into, he's, he runs into a guard. There's help from a guard. And, and then that's when I really like got the ball rolling and I kind of like put this theory out there to other people that write about football. PFF Seth, Seth Galina, friend of the pod is one of those people. And he kind of looked into it. He, he went into his PFF ultimate database <laughs> and he found like, yeah, like there's a stark contrast between his performance when using an inside move and an outside move. PFF tracks this. And not only is his grade like totally different, he's a 91 he grades at like a 91 when moving a, uh, using an inside move, and it drops to 65 when using an outside move. Wow. So he's basically an elite rusher when do, using going inside and uh, a bust when going outside. And his pressure rate is also the same, like, or it follows the same trend 26% pressure rate using inside move, 8% using an outside move, but his sack rate is the same. So I think it had to do with that. That's when I realized, like, it has to do with this. And then so I started studying the outside, like, the, the plays where he stays outside. And it became apparent that he, like, you know, he burst off the line. He has that explosion. Obviously, he's a great athlete. But he could never turn the corner. Like, he could never 
get low, what draft scouts will, will call bend. Right. Uh, and he can't turn that corner like uh, like a Von Miller, for instance. He could turn any corner. Like he, his hips don't make any sense. Right. But, but Clowney's really rigid, and maybe the injuries have had had to do with it. He has had knee injuries. Maybe that's why he can't bend. But whatever the reason is, he can't turn that corner, and he can't win outside. And you need that to be an elite edge rusher. So I think the reason why he has these high pressure rates is he's so strong and so fast that he can get near the quarterback. He just can't finish it off for a sack. Cause that's really where Ben helps is finishing off pass rushes and he just can't do it. And he's never been able to do it. And it goes back to his time in college. He only had like three sacks his last year at South Carolina. Right. Right. Yeah. That's what I was going to say is this is not actually a new problem. I mean, it may be exacerbated by injuries or, or wear and tear of certain kinds, but, but this is sort of who Clowney is and, and has been. And really the video, uh, for me did it when, when you showed, you know, you have a Matt Bowen tweet in, embedded in the story with Von Miller uh, and the way that he sort of drives the tackle back. And then it, bend is the right word for it, but it's like this, he all of a sudden is facing the quarterback right. and, and you just don't see clowny. He's not able to do that. And quarterbacks are, good at seeing things coming right at them, right? Like right. Clowney sort of comes right at them because he is bull rushing or is he is going, you know, he's trying to go around mm-hmm. a guy. And it's so it's it's sort of staying in the quarterback's line of sight and then right. he can step up and, uh, you know, he knows where to move. But but Miller appears out of nowhere for a quarterback. <laughs> uh, this is Derek Carr that he's sacking. So I don't maybe it's because it's Derek Carr. But in uh, fairness, he, my he, clip of Clowney is against Andy Dalton. So, OK, there you go. <laughs> uh, but it's 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 very stark contrast uh, to watch these two players yeah. coming around a tackle uh, and, and how they work. You just uh, really got to so, see where their hips are in the two videos. Like Clowney is very upright and, and Von Miller is not, he's like bending. That's why they use the, the term. And it, I guess it's obvious. I mean, we should have known it was coming because Clowney right. he blew up the right. combine, but he did not perform well in the agility drills. Right. Yeah, he was. Uh, so Stephen has a, a chart in here showing sort of how his uh, his numbers compared. And, you know, he's off the charts on 40 yard dash, 10 yard split, vertical jump, broad jump, uh, arm length height uh he's 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 exceptionally low on bench press which i didn't realize i don't i, don't I think that's because that, he has long arms yeah it's hard to hard to bench but he's really low on 20 yard shuttle and three go, cone drill which are more of the agility type uh measurements so it this does it's interesting because in some ways this was like not a super satisfying result because it's not like this is a these are not new observations like okay jaday van Clowney lacks ideal agility but it it is like okay so we now know that that's that's actually what's happening and the most interesting part i think for me was that you noticed that already his coaches are making an adjustment this season and since mike vrabel has coached him before that it seemed like he figured this out when they were with the texans together uh that there are ways to maybe utilize jadevian Clowney in a better way for the defense. Uh, you know, obviously getting pressure is important. Getting sacks is better. Uh, but there might be a way maybe to use Clowney that that helps the defense on a whole. Uh, and they're, they're utilizing that a little bit right so far, right? I mean, from yeah. what you've seen. I didn't want to add one thing in regard to Von Miller. His his 20-yard shuttle and three-cone drill were both like 95, 95th percentile. 
So right. that's the big difference between those two as athletes. But yeah, uh, and I wrote about this early in the offseason. I was kind of picking destinations for the the free agents that were left over after the first wave of signings. And the Titans were my pick for Clowney. And that's for that's the reason why, because when Vrabel had him, and I think it was 2017 with the Texans, he moved him around the front a lot. He moved, he put him at Mike Linebacker and kind of had him bull rush the center. He put him at three technique. And now, like, that's where he's he's getting snaps there. He's not, you know, basing out of those positions, but he is getting snaps there. And I think that's what you got to do with him, at least on passing downs, is put him inside. And that way, he doesn't have to turn a corner. There's no corner to, to turn. Once he beats that guard, the quarterback's right in his face. And that's really how you get the most out of him. I don't think he's ever going to be an elite guy. And the reason why I think it's important that this finding is important is because there is this notion that sacks, sack totals are really like a product of luck. Like if you keep getting pressure, eventually your sack numbers will catch up. But I don't think that's ever going to be the case with Clowney. The only way to get his sack numbers up is to move him around. Yeah, it's uh, it's. I mean, it's worth watching the rest of the. Obviously, can't watch it this weekend, but it's it's definitely worth watching the rest of the season because it, you know he remains a really elite player. Is it just he's right. a little bit different than maybe what he was advertised as at first? Uh, all right, let's 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 take a look now at this game that we've identified as as the best game of the week: Patriots Chiefs and. Uh, I'm not sure that we need to get into this too much. Uh, why? I mean, it's, it's Andy Reid and Bill Belichick. It's the two best coaches of the era. And one specializes in creating incredible defenses and one specializes in making uh, creative offenses. So, uh, you know, this is a game that we love. But I know you you are taking a look at this. This is something that you, as soon as we saw the Chiefs totally dismantle the Ravens. And I think, I, I don't think either one of us thought that game would go that way. Uh, it sort of felt like the Ravens would get going a little bit. They were playing at home and uh, it seemed like maybe they were ready to take that step and beat the Chiefs. And that is not what happened at all. Uh, it turned out to just be a horrible matchup that the Ravens tried to blitz. Patrick Mahomes, who had trouble dealing with pressure against the Chargers. And because the Ravens cannot create pressure without bringing extra players, it turned out that uh, that did not go so well. And Mahomes just totally exploited them. Um, So now you're looking at this game and it's, you know, the Patriots also do not have a great four man rush. Mm -hmm. But from what you've seen, what what you're observing so far you're thinking that maybe there's a way, maybe that the Patriots can find a way to stop the Chiefs. Yeah, so I went back and watched and studied the game from last year, and I don't remember this being the case, but apparently Patrick Mahomes had a pretty bad game. I just remember the Chiefs winning and then right. not being like very competitive late, and that was my last memory of it. But I looked at the numbers, and Patrick Mahomes had a, a negative EPA. It was actually his third worst game of his career by EPA. And really the reason the Patriots lost was because their offense couldn't do anything. They only scored 16 points. And I also just assumed that they used the same game plan they had used in the AFC title game the year before when they beat the Chiefs. But that wasn't the case either. And it really stuck out to me that like this, the game plan they did use wasn't a, wasn't a special game plan. It was a, a typical Patriots game plan where they're, you know, they play a lot of, cover one man they don't blitz too much 
and they have that extra player in the middle of the field that they didn't have to double anyone. And I think that gives them some hope that they could slow down the Chiefs offense without sending a bl- extra blitzers, without having to double Tyree Kill or Travis Kelsey. They really just could play 11 on 11. And I think that makes covering the Chiefs team so much easier. So maybe I know maybe it was last week where we said there's a blueprint for beating the Chiefs and it's having just a great defensive line that can get after him without blitzing. But maybe it's also the other way. Like if you have a deep secondary that can cover these guys man to man, man without that extra help to double team players. I think that's another option. Cause it, like you said, the Patriots do not have any elite edge rushers. Right. Right. My daughter just uh, broke into the podcast <laughs> and she was carrying a magic wand, which I think was her saying that the only way to really stop Mahomes is to be magical. Also, that was like uh, the best analysis we- that we've given on this on the show was your daughter <laughs> her just saying hi dad dad the smartest trying, thing we've trying to get my attention uh yeah this and you know i think when you talk about that afc championship game uh from you know it was played after the 2018 season uh so in january 2019 I, what we i mean even i forgot until we started looking at this and uh, you know, exploring what actually happened. Like Patrick Mahomes was utterly brilliant in the second half of that game. Like, I mean, he, uh, that, that was the Patriots realizing like, wait a minute, we have no idea how to stop this guy, but they had slowed him down for the first half and it ended up, they, the Patriots won that in overtime. Uh, so it ended up being enough, but um, it is, you know, this this matchup, the evolution of this matchup has been fascinating to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know that you, you know, we've talked about the fact that uh, the the Patriots don't match up well with the Seahawks and obviously lost uh, late. Uh, late earlier this year. Um, but Russell Wilson give, seems to give. Bill Belichick's team's particular problems. And Belichick mentioned, you know, he was full of praise for Russell Wilson saying, oh, I don't know if there's anyone better. Uh, but you sort of isolated that he there's something about Russell Wilson that that would drive Bill Belichick and his defense nuts uh, that Patrick Mahomes doesn't, in fact, have, uh, you know, that there is a difference between those two players. And it explains sort of why one has had a fair amount of success against the Patriots and why the other is still trying to figure it out. So what did you see when you looked at the film and, and started exploring that? Yeah, so I wanted to watch that Seahawks game because that's the game where the defense has looked the worst in maybe like the last two years. I think Russell Wilson threw five touchdowns. And the thing that stood out was it wasn't a very Patriots type game plan. Like there was a lot of zone coverage and it wasn't like pattern matching zone, which we've covered before. It was like straight typical zone. And that's because Russell Wilson just thrives in chaos and he loves breaking the pocket. And if he's breaking the pocket, you have to have eyes on him. So you can't necessarily have linebackers running with receivers or tight ends because they have to have their eyes in the backfield to make sure they chase after him when he breaks the pocket. And it just puts so much stress on the Patriots' coverage. They didn't have any extra people in coverage like they usually do because they had to have a spy if they played man coverage. And when, they, like I said, when they played zone, they couldn't they couldn't run with receivers. So because Russell Wilson is such an agent of chaos, like Belichick can't do his typical strategies. But Mahomes isn't really like that. I know he makes these crazy sandlot plays, but right. when he's in the pocket, he's playing quarterback like – 
a typical quarterback would. Like if he sees a one-on-one matchup on the outside and a cornerback's running with Tyreek Hill step for step, he's going to go on to his next read and throw to the open guy and find an open guy eventually. Whereas Russ, he'll just throw that ball up there because he knows he has the most accurate deep ball on the planet. And he can just drop it in over the, uh, a cornerback's head like we saw with the DK Metcalf throw. Stephon Gilmore was right there. Step mm-hmm. for step. I don't think Mahomes makes that throw. I think he goes on to his next read and finds someone else. And I'm not saying either strategy is better than the other. Right. Because it obviously works for Russell Wilson. He threw five touchdown passes. But I do think it makes Belichick's job just a little bit easier because he knows what Patrick Mahomes is going to do. He knows if we cover this route, he's going to go to this route next. Whereas with Wilson, he has no idea what where Wilson is going to be. He could be outside the pocket. He could be running. He could throw it to a covered guy. It just makes game playing so much harder. And I think that's the key difference. And I think that's why Wilson is such a bad matchup for Belichick. Whereas Belichick with all of these, these pieces he has at his disposal, he has this, this group of cornerbacks. that's so deep, the deepest in the league by far, and just different types of corners who can match up with different types of receivers and I think that's what you kind of need if you don't have those that deep defensive line, then you need a secondary like that. And really, the Patriots are the only one with a secondary like that. Right. I feel like we've been chasing that story for years. I mean, right. I feel like a big narrative of, of the, that we've been trying to figure out is, uh, I mean, you write a ton about Bill Belichick because he's, I mean, he's just utterly brilliant. He's uh so far and away the best NFL coach. It's astounding to think about um, the, the gap between him and other coaches, uh, given you know how competitive this league is. But he's just always out front, and he has figured out this. Uh, as you're talking about this, the, a way to take these players that other teams discard or don't pick up in the first place and how to make them work. And your comparison of late is that it's sort of like, like it's almost like a basketball team. Like he's putting together parts of a basketball team where you need different skills and, and different parts of the game might call for this and he is able to deploy them. And it's not like, it's not like Syracuse, you know, they're not sitting in the zone defense, uh, which you so eloquently explained one time that Pat Riley thought it was brilliant. Um, but uh, this, he is able to deploy many different defenses. He can be Syracuse one week and then the next week he's uh, he's like the old UCLA, uh, you know, pressure all over the court defense. He can do whatever he wants with these players. Um, so how do you think that plays out? this game like what do you see him using this week to try to slow because i think you are thinking that the patriots have a pretty good chance in this game right yeah and that's really the question i've been trying to answer and that's uh, a little peek behind the curtain i'm a little late on this article uh is trying to figure out what they're going to do about hardman nicole hardman right right who had a big game on sunday yeah, and he also he did catch a touchdown against the Patriots in that game on the, okay. the the wasp play that they use against the 49ers, which has become a thing for the Chiefs. Uh, but the thing about that game was Hill and Hardman didn't really play together. It was either one or the other, and they, they were right. kind of redundant. But now they're playing together more often. So that's another speed guy that the Patriots have to worry about. And they had Jonathan Jones on Tyreek Hill. Jonathan Jones runs a 4-3. Tyreek Hill runs whatever he runs. But now you got to worry about another 4-3, 4-2 type of guy, and the Patriots don't have another 4-3 cornerback. 
who they mm-hmm. trust on the roster. So I've been trying to figure out how they're going to do that. And I think it's going to be a combination of Jason McCourty and JC Jackson, who really aren't guys you want to leave on an island with speed guys, but you know, they don't right. really have a choice. So that's one of the big issues from, you know, that's one of the big changes. Another one is that they've lost a lot of guys since they played that game last year. And one of those guys who is probably not going to be talked about a lot and hasn't been talked about as a huge loss is Danny Shelton. And the reason I say that is a big part of their strategy was how they rushed the quarterback. And I'm going to include this in the post, but you can really tell the difference between how they rushed uh, Wilson and how they rushed Mahomes with Wilson. They kind of kept like a, a, a straight line, like the interior linemen and the edge rushers were on the same plane. It was like a, hmm. they were building a wall. Whereas against Mahomes, the edge rushers got upfield and the interior guys kind of stayed back and read and kept their eyes up at Mahomes and were reading where he was moving. And then when he started to move, that's when they attacked him. And you need big guys that can control linemen in order to do that. And they have to be athletic because they have to move at the last second to kind of react to where Mahomes is is moving. Now, other guys were able to do it, like Lawrence Guy, uh, Dietrich Wise. But Danny Sheldon was really good at it. And he had a good mm-hmm. game that game. And I think that's they're going to miss him. And then Dante Hightower is also a guy. He's just their unsung hero. He just does so many things for them. And we saw those linebackers get exposed by Seattle. They just look so slow, like Jawan Bentley. But I will say this, against the Seahawks, the, the Patriots did play a lot of nickel. And against the Chiefs last year, it was a lot of dimes. So I don't think they're going to have two linebackers on the field. And I don't think they're going to ask their linebackers to cover anybody. So that might mitigate the loss of Hightower. But I don't know if they're going to be able to replace Shelton. The uh, Chiefs are actually a seven-point favorite in this game. This is a 425 game on Sunday. Uh, So I have a feeling you are not picking the Chiefs to win by that much if you're picking them at all. But how how do you see this game playing out? No, I think it's going to be a close game. I'm reluctantly picking the Patriots. I know I'm going to end up looking like an idiot by Sunday. (laughs) But I really think this is a great matchup, and I think they have a chance. And... The Patriots have a great running game, and one thing about the Chiefs is they don't have a great run defense. Maybe that changes now that they have a, a you know, a fully healthy defensive line. Mike Pinnell's back, and he helps things out for them on in the run game. But I really think this is a game the Patriots have a chance in. I don't think it's going to be a blowout like like Monday night. The Ravens or the Chiefs are just a terrible matchup for the Ravens because they have to blitz to get pressure. They play a lot of cover zero, and it's just hard to do that against a team as talented as the Chiefs. Uh, any lingering concerns about Cam Newton, who was not a uh, great, the Patriots beat the Raiders handily 36, 20 last week, but, uh, Newton was not quite as good as he'd been. Yeah. Any lingering concerns? Cause I think you, you said that Steve Spagnola, I mean, he's really, uh, really calling an amazing defense for the chiefs. Uh, and, and you've written, uh, at length about what they do with their secondary and, and how they are deploying uh, Tyron Matthew seems to be the sort of key to it. He's all over the place and and makes it difficult for quarterbacks to read. So what about that part of the matchup? Uh, any concerns about how that's going to go? Uh, not really. Like Cam wasn't good, but I think it was just, I don't think it was stuff that you have to be worried about. I don't think he 
he was seeing the field all that well. I, and that's not usually an issue. I haven't watched mm-hmm. the tape of that game. I just watched the broadcast copy of the offense. And I didn't see a lot of issues. I thought if they really wanted to put their foot on the gas, they could have last game. Right. But they were in control mm-hmm. of the game and they didn't really need to open things up. It was kind of like the Miami game. Right. But if they need to go to that plan B, I think they have it as we saw against Seattle. Yeah. All right, let's move on to the rest. Uh, actually, let's let's do our fantasy segment. You want to bring bring Charles in and Charles. do some do some fantasy? I want to bash some takes. All right, let's do it. Always my favorite. The counter. In season two of The Sneak, a podcast from For the Win in USA Today, we will tell the story of surfing champion Jack Roland Murphy, who in 1964 pulled a heist that made him the most famous jewel thief in the country. But that was just the beginning of his story, one that quickly spun out of control and then turned deadly. The Sneak, Murders at Whiskey Creek, is available now on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Or experience the entire series right now, ad-free, exclusively on Wondery+. Download the Wondery app and hear all of Season 2 today. All right, we turn now to our good pal, Charles Curtis, up in New York City, our fantasy guru, fantasy nerd, fantasy expert, fantasy everything, my fantasy, Charles Curtis. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm great. I love hearing that I'm your fantasy. Yeah, I I slipped that in there at the end. It was was just for you. No one else is supposed to hear it. Uh, This is our segment where we, Charles names uh, some of his... His stud, a dud, and a uh, sleeper for the week. Just one. He writes several in his story on ForTheWinUSAToday.com, FTWUSAToday.com. You know, he names a bunch since it's not super helpful to just have one or two or three names, but uh, you can find that. And we, this is, this is still a weird segment. I'm still trying to get my head around this, but we, we, he names some here and then Steven grades them by using a coach's name. Uh, yeah, I'm not, it doesn't make sense, but it's I fun. I think it's a simple concept. I don't know if you can't latch onto it. Bill Belichick is good. So if I give you a Belichick, it's a good pick. If, if I say Adam Gase, it's a bad pick. It's a very simple concept. But what about all the coaches in the middle, Steven? The rest of them, like, that's it. There, there's just one good coach and one bad coach, and the rest are just all the same. You know well, that. I know it. I explain my reasoning after I give the coach. It's a great uh, segment. It's a great idea. Steven, from the mind no. of the guy that came up with the Monday take dump. Just shut up, man. <laughs> okay. Uh, I just wanted to say that. Uh, Charles, give me your stud. <laughs> I, how do I follow you guys? This is a great commentary. I'm going to start with James Robinson. Let's talk James Robinson. James Robinson wasn't supposed to be this good. It, it, I find it hilarious. This happens every year, and I'm guilty of it too, is where a bad team ends up like putting in some undrafted free agent at a position, running back, or wide receiver, whatever it might be. Usually it's running back, though, and everyone kind of ignores it and kind of like, oh, you're the guy who either drafted that guy or you picked him off of waivers while dropping some sleeper. Like, what an idiot. And then that undrafted player goes on to be good, and James Robinson is good, and part of it is because he just has the job all to himself. Uh, Chris Thompson isn't even catching that many passes. James Robinson caught a bunch of passes last week, and now he's he's like one of the only RB1s in all of fantasy. And that is a, an amazing thing to me. And this week he gets to face the Bengals. The Bengals don't stop the run well. 
everybody's got to stop sleeping on him. Put him in your lineups. I'm sure I'm preaching to the, the, the choir of fantasy owners here, but James Robinson is good and he's going to be here to stay as long as he obviously stays healthy. Stud. All right. All right. Uh, I'm going to give that a, a Bruce Arians. I have no, I have no idea why I picked Bruce Arians. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with a, a reasoning right now. Uh, because I mean, I think it's a good pick, but it's James Robinson. I don't think you can, you can rely on him yet. I think it's too early. It's kind of like Bruce Arians because Bruce Arians is in theory, a good coach, but I don't know about it. I don't know if you can rely on him week to week. He's very volatile. It's the whole no, no risk it, no biscuit strategy, I think. So I'm going to say no, cause I don't, I'm not trusting the Jaguars offense. I just don't trust it. I think wow. they can easily score 14 points this, this week. And I don't know who's going to score the touchdown. I, I would say Gardner Minshew might throw him. I don't know. I, I just don't. I, I hate like picking running backs in fantasy just because I don't know. It's just so dicey. It all, it all go, comes down to game script. And I think the Jaguars and Bengals are going to play a, a close game. And I don't know if they're going to be running the ball a lot. Yeah, I, I, I see where you're coming from there. I'm just going to say his targets and receptions have gone up in each of his first three games. He went up to six last week for 83 yards against the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I think the, the the problem, what you're saying, is is rushing. But he, uh, volume is is the key here. 16 carries in his first two games, 11 in those last. I think I disagree with you. Obviously, I'm, I'm putting him here to stud. But go ahead. Here's, the, here's another key. I put in no research into this. At <laughs> research, so. Uh, so that's lovely. a key, good, key good. thing to remember. I have no James Robinson takes. Like I, he's not a very explosive runner, but he is a smart running back, and he's gonna he's gonna take what's there. And against the Bengals, there's usually a lot there. No, I know. I watched the Eagles play them last week. It was <laughs> it was there was nothing there whatsoever. Who's your dud, Charles? Let's talk about the the Baltimore Ravens as a whole. And I, I've given two duds this week with Mark Ingram and J, J.K. Dobbins as as duds and Hollywood Brown as a dud. And I'm not saying because I think this is a, a like a Ravens revenge game kind of plot this week. I think from a fantasy perspective, I have a problem with how they're using the running backs with Gus Edwards, too. They've got three running backs. They're split in the pie. Lamar Jackson obviously gets more rushes than any other quarterback around. So you can't start Ingram with any confidence. You can't put in JK Dobbins with any confidence. You have to kind of wait and see with these guys. And then with Hollywood Brown, so Washington, this is where I know Steven's going to kill me, but Washington has been pretty good against the pass. And so I'm, and I'm a little wary about last week with what happened with Lamar Jackson and his, his passing, uh, which obviously what did he end up with? 96 yards passing. So I'm, I'm taking more caution. I'm not saying, Always bench these guys. It depends on obviously your lineup situation. We have a Titans Steelers game that's been postponed, so you may have to use them. But I don't have a lot of confidence here with those three fantasy names. Oh, uh, this is a Jack Del Rio pick. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not oh, even no. giving you a head coach. They're playing the they're playing Washington. The Ravens are gonna be fine. Like Jack Del Rio was still trying to figure out how to defend the read option in like twenty seventeen. This Ravens often it, it I know there's a lot of mouths to feed, but there's going to be a lot of food on the table too. So I have no problem with this. Like, yes, the Re- I keep on with saying it. 
Washington's been decent against the pass, but they've also played Baker Mayfield and Carson Wentz. That's so, fair. That's fair. And think, they, they weren't yeah. so good against Tyler Murray. Yeah, I think I think of, of the three, I like the running back situation. I'm still definitely going to be not happy about until they totally figure it out. But yeah, Marquise Brown, I think you have to wait until Marquise Brown and, and you know, they, he had one good game to start the season. So I think that can, that's a rebound candidate. There. So, but Jack's over here. Wow. Whew, let me see if I can, I can, I can uh, rebound with, with my sleeper pick. Let me find. Yeah. Hit us with it. All right. Let's, let's dig deep. Let's go tight end. Let's talk tight ends. Dalton Schultz. The, the problem I have with the Cowboys is there are a lot. Speaking, you know, we talked about mouths to feed and food on the table. The Cowboys just, they have so many players who have to catch passes. They have Mark Cooper and Michael Gallup and CeeDee Lamb. Zeke get catch passes. And yet I've seen Dalton Schultz catching passes, getting red zone looks. Um, I think he's the sleeper this week. The Browns have given up the fourth most tight end fantasy points in 2020. So I'm. If you're desperate at tight end, and I am actually desperate in one league, uh, I'm going with Dalton Schultz. Yeah, I like this pick actually. I'm hey, gonna, boy. Ooh, what should I give it? Uh, I'll give it a, a John Harbaugh. Ooh, yeah, I like it. It's a good pick. I That's think a good pick. Yeah, the Browns linebackers are are not good. Their safety group is not very good, so they don't really have anyone to cover those guys. And if you're focusing on the wide receivers, which you have to do against the Cowboys, then yeah, I think the tight end's going to get some opportunities. Yes. Excellent. Good Look at that. We're, we're, let's, let's just end it on a positive note. Everyone's happy. Everyone, everyone likes each other. <laughs> I gave John him, I, I feel like I, I was fair this, this week. I gave him uh, a John Harbaugh, a top coach. I gave him Bruce Arians. I think a, he's a, a middling coach at worst. And then Jack Del Rio, a right-wing That's... conspiracy theorist. <laughs> <laughs> and the defensive coordinator for, for something called the football team. So, yeah. uh, well, thanks for joining us, Charles. Uh, always love this segment and cannot wait to do it again next week. <laughs> thanks, guys. Appreciate it. The Counter. All right. Good to hear from Charles. Get some fantasy takes talk about some coaches uh let's dive in on the rest of the schedule not a fantastic week in the nfl uh, at least not on paper looking ahead of time there'll be some games that will be fascinating that's how this league works it opens with broncos jets tonight uh, we're recording this on thursday uh i i'm not going to talk about this game <laughs> we're, we're not <laughs> discussing wait you're not you're not excited to watch drew lock play drew lock <laughs> How, how many Drew Locks are playing in this game? Is Sam Darnold now a Drew Lock in your book? Oh, yeah. He's definitely a Drew Lock. Uh, <laughs> Adam Gase is a Drew Lock. John Elway <laughs> is a Drew Lock. They're all Drew Locks. Any mediocre white quarterback or quarterback adjacent person is a Drew Lock. Oh, man. By the way, I, I want to point out, like, Broncos fans on Twitter are like, ah, oh, I just want Drew Lock to come back. Things would have been so better. The Broncos' lowest graded quarterback this season is Drew Locke, like the actual Drew no. Locke. So no. <laughs> point that out. don't let the injury distract you from that fact that he was terrible. The uh, if the Broncos win tonight, and if they win by a lot, Adam Gase is gone, right? I've seen that report it. refuted, but I don't know how you go on. And this is like the perfect time to do it because you have the the ten day break, right? 
And you might have a longer break because you never know with Adam Gase. He could like infect the whole roster with uh, COVID if, on his way out. That's how I would go out if I was fired. Messed <laughs> <laughs> up, man. That's so wrong. So wrong. Colts Bears uh, is a one o'clock game. Bears three and zero. Oh. Um, Colts two and one. I uh, Nick Foles, man. Nick Foles. Gonna get some more Nick Foles. Foles versus Philip Rivers. Quietly terrible battle for you. Quietly terrible performance from Nick Foles. He got very lucky that the Falcons don't seem to realize they can possess the football on defense. Right. Like they, he tried to throw so many interceptions and they just kept bailing him out. Uh, yeah. So I see some regression coming from Nick Foles, and I've been high on the Colts this whole the history yeah. of this podcast, and that's not going to change. I think they win that game. Yeah, uh, the Colts are a. Two and a half point favorite. Way too low. Uh, but, Way too low. Yeah. Um, Jaguars Bengals. Um, we definitely need some Burrow Minshew action. Just two gunslingers back there winging it around. Can't wait. Uh, three point favorite for Cincinnati. What's what's your thinking on this one? I have no idea. I was like ready to come around <laughs> on the Jaguars before that Thursday night game, but now I just don't know what to think. Burrow's been what I expected Burrow to be. Like he's obviously a smart quarterback. He just mm-hmm. it's hard to turn intelligence into production when you're with a, such a, a crappy team. Right. And he's running into sacks at a high rate, which I also expected. He's not turning he's not turning the ball over, which is a good sign. Uh I'm gonna pick the the Bengals to win this one, but I don't know. I might even I I think I picked Jacksonville in our picks post, so I'm just all over the map with this game. <laughs> you're just uh, you're covering all your bases. Right. Just, just smart, man. Uh Browns and Cowboys. The Browns are two and one, Cowboys are one and two. <laughs> Yet seem like they are uh, have a stranglehold on the NFC East. <laughs> um they they certainly appear like by far the best team. Um, what's your thinking here? Dallas is a four and a half point favorite. I think this is a game where we find out about both teams. Like the Cowboys have just been playing weird games and they've been playing good teams. And the Browns have kind of played, they played like the Ravens where if you look bad against the Ravens, it's just like, okay, it's the Ravens. Like every, a lot of teams are going to look bad. And then they beat up on the Bengals and Washington. So we don't really know what to expect out of either of these teams. I think this is going to tell us who these teams are. I'm expecting a close game, but the only way I'd come out of this week optimistic if I was a fan of either team is if we see a blowout. But I don't know if we're going to see that. Yeah. Um, oh, I should give a pick. I'll, I'm picking the Cowboys. Yeah, they have the best. Picking the Cowboys in this one. Yeah. That, that sounds about right. Uh, Saints Lions, uh, you know, a pretty simple narrative here i think and that's just trying to figure out if drew Brees can right. turn it all around or if uh, sean payton can figure out how to make this version of drew Brees work um you know whether that offense get going both teams are one and two uh you know the the nfc north is a mess too so it's not like the lions are completely out of it but man Matt Patricia has done a crummy job this season. Um, New New Orleans is a four point favorite. What's your thinking on this one? Yeah, I think this I think this is the game where we're like either Drew Brees is washed or or it's still up for debate. If they Mm -hmm. lose this or even if they just struggle with this one and don't score a lot of points, because I think he's getting Michael Thomas back. I think it's it's time to really start thinking about Jameis. Like it goes from media hot take to 
<laughs> okay, we need like Sean Payton needs to really start thinking about this. I'm going to say that Drew Brees has a decent game and they win. But I've been saying that the last couple of weeks and he's proved, proven me wrong and not in a good way. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thomas was limited in practice last I saw. Uh, I, I mean, do do you think that they could move? I mean, that just seems like a decision that would be so hard to make. Um, I think, uh, and I know I think I'm, you're you're much higher on Winston than pretty much anyone in the country. <laughs> but but uh, and that's because you look at numbers other than just PFF, his interceptions. PFF Moo also high. Okay, all right. The smartest well, people on Twitter. So respectful, respectful. Uh, I think like yeah, I think that's going to be a, a factor. It's not going to just be like a merit based decision. It's going to be there's going to be emotion involved. And right. I wouldn't be surprised if a mystery injury crops up. Like right, what happened with Peyton Manning when the Broncos benched him and then all of a sudden his foot was hurt. Right. I think we could see something similar with Drew Brees' like elbow or something. Right. That's the elegant way to get out of out of these situations for NFL teams. Um, Seahawks Dolphins is another one o'clock game. Seahawks three and oh, Dolphins one and two. Seahawks are a six and a half point favorite here. Um, yeah. What, what do you think here? Uh, I think this is going to be one of those weird Seattle games. Like it's, <laughs> it's a 10 a.m. start for them. They're going to the East Coast. No one's going to be watching the game. It's going to be one of those games where it's like 2.30 and like it pops up on red zone and like the Seahawks are, <laughs> are only up three points and Ryan Fitzpatrick is driving. I think they're going to ultimately win the game, but I, mm-hmm. I'm i picking my aim to cover this one. Wow. Yeah, I think it's one of those weird games. They're due for a weird game. Um, Chargers, Bucks, another one o'clock game. Uh, I guess we're, we're kind of waiting to see if Tom Brady can keep going. He's, it seems like he's getting in sync with what Bruce Arians wants from him. Uh, you know, the Bucks, uh, uh, you know, have been beat up on a not great team last week. And, and now this week, the Chargers obviously have an incredible, uh, defensive line, but beyond that, not much going on. So what do you expect out of this one? The, the Bucks are a seven-point favorite. I expect the Bucks to win. I expect that defense, which is really fast and really aggressive, I think it's going to just give Justin Herbert all types of problems because he's a, guy, a quarterback that holds on to the ball, and you don't want to do that against Todd Bowles. I think they're just going to blitz the hell out of him like they've been doing against young quarterbacks. We saw it with Jeff Driscoll. Oh, sorry, Drew Locke last week. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we're going to see a similar uh, thing, and I think the – we're going to really find out if this is Tom Brady's offense or it's Bruce Arians offense this week because he's facing that Seattle type of, of defense that forces you to be patient and, you know, throw underneath. And that's obviously right. not a thing Arians likes to do. So we'll see, like, who has more pool with the Bucks offense. Interesting. Uh, the Ravens looking to bounce back from losing to the Chiefs. They play the football team from Washington, D.C. Their favorite, they're a 13 and a half point favorite, which tells me that Chase Young is almost certainly not playing this weekend. Uh, man, that still seems a little high, especially given how much trouble the Ravens had on offense. But I know that you are not concerned in any way, shape or form about Lamar or even the Ravens uh, as a whole. The, the running game and, and everything they're trying to do on offense. Hollywood Brown has not been as good. Uh, the tight ends were not as good as they should have been against the Chiefs. It just seemed like an off night. And, and I think you're expecting a bounce back. Yeah, I, I think it's a horrible matchup. And 
in after the boom, the story, the, the series we wrote last year about the evolution of defense, we had an anecdote about Cody Alexander, uh, the match quarters high school coach who writes about defense on Twitter about him visiting Broncos practice and Jack Del Rio being the defensive coordinator and like having no idea how to stop the zone read (laughs) and Alexander (laughs) being like, this is like day one high school install. Like you don't know how to do it. Well, guess what? You're playing the Ravens and they're like that zone read type of offense on steroids. I don't think they're going to have answers for it. Even if their line is really good. Wash. I think Baltimore is really going to have a great game. And by the way, I, I think we should start referring to them as the Landover football team. They don't, don't, they don't even play in Washington, D.C. If we're going with football team, I think we need to say where they really play. They play in Landover, Maryland. Okay, I'll call them Landover. <laughs> I don't know. Where do their fans – like where do the football team fans live? I mean most of them live in Virginia, right? Right, Virginia and like Montgomery County, like around D.C. suburbs. I don't know. My family is Washington football fans. You don't have a family, man. That's true. We I don't talk to them. They might have changed. I haven't talked to them. I don't know. Maybe the Ravens. <laughs> Your poor parents, man. I hope my kids talk to me when I'm old. Uh, Cardinals you just, fans. You just- Push your daughter out of the door when she's trying to talk to you. <laughs> she, I wave to her. Uh, I'll go play with her later. We'll read some stories. It'll be great. Watch some Peppa Pig. I don't know. It'll and you'll fun. ignore her to watch Jets <laughs> Uh Cardinals Panthers. I, I, Arizona's only a three and a half point favorite uh, in this one. I guess uh, you, you were down on them after last week, too. So... Uh, and the Panthers, obviously, much to your chagrin, won last week. How do you see this one playing out? I think the Panthers have a chance. Like I said last week, going into the Chargers matchup, I think their defense their defense is still very bad, but it just happens to match up with the things the Cardinals do because they have that college-style offense. Right. So uh, Phil Snow is going to have some experience you know, defending that type of offense. And I think the problem with him the first couple of weeks is he was still using like a big 12 style defense against NFL teams, which just doesn't make sense. Like the Raiders were just like lining up in two back backfields and just running it down their throats. And they were still playing quarters defense, which is what you do against like a, a spread offense. Right. But I think it matches up to what the Cardinals do. I still think it's a coaching mismatch. So I'm going to take the Cardinals to win. I think they cover rather easily. I have saved this game for last of the 1 p.m. games, even though it is two 0-3 teams. And it might be – I'm I'm way too lazy to do the research on this, but it might be the best game ever between two 0-3 teams, uh, the Vikings and Texans. Uh, both 0-3 and, and both uh, teams that – you know, the Vikings, because the Vikings should – kind of be good Mike Zimmer's a good coach they have some good pieces uh the Texans because Deshaun Watson uh manages often to cancel out Bill O'Brien's weirdness um but Houston is a four-point favorite here what do you see out of this game and can the winner of this game go on to the playoffs I mean are is there any chance for either of these teams to recover uh, I think the Texans have the better chance and I'm picking them to win this game because of the quarterback position Watson, like you said, is a a quarterback capable of overcoming a bad situation around him. Kirk Cousins is not, and Kirk Cousins has not been playing well this year. He's been pretty bad, and I don't know if that's going to change. I have some hope that Mike Zimmer will figure things out defensively, but Gary Kubiak has not been good. Like I spent the offseason wondering if if Kevin Stefanski was a fraud because of the work Kubiak, but... 
it looks like it might have been the other way around. Like maybe I was giving too much credit to Kubiak because the Vikings offense has been pretty bad. Apparently, they're not doing a lot of like window dressing before the snap, and and they're you know that Shanahan type of of offense where they don't have a lot of concepts. It's it's like it's the window dressing before the snap that makes those concepts hard to to key in on. But they're not doing any of that, so it's pretty easy to key on what they're doing offensively. And Kirk Cousins is not doing well in that offense, so I'm gonna go with the Texans. I think I think they have at least a chance because Deshaun Watson is a very good player, and I don't think Kirk Cousins is right now. Four o'clock game, Giants Rams. Oh man, poor Giants, poor NFC East. What a, what a mess! What a mess. Uh, Rams are a twelve-point favorite in this one. Yeah, uh, it's a big spread, but. Not big enough for me because <laughs> I just saw Nick Mullins do terrible things to this this Giants defense. And if you don't think Sean McVay was watching that Kyle Shanahan tape over the week over the weekend and trying to and picking up on all those things he used, I I, I think that's it's just gonna they're just gonna run them off the field like the, the 49ers did. The Rams actually have their full offense intact, so I don't see how anything changes and. I mean, the offense, I think, is averaging like 12 or 13 points a game, so they're not going to be able to keep up. If the Rams get to like 27, I think they cover the spread. Uh, Bills, Raiders, uh, Bills uh, certainly rolling along. Uh, they are favored by only three in this one. Um, what are we going to learn about Josh Allen? What, what, that's, Josh Allen's a huge storyline, uh, you know, among the sort of narrative-driven NFL media right now that he is emerging and figuring things out and becoming an elite player. Uh, but is is this a week where we where we, where we find something out about him? I don't think we can really answer that question because a lot of his play and, and like a lot of the improvement has been driven by these unstable things. So we don't know when his play under pressure is just going to fall off a cliff. We don't know. And like against the Rams, that was the case too. He was moving around a lot. Like, I don't think he threw more than like five passes in the rhythm of the offense. He was moving around wow. to his credit, which I think, I mean, it's a plus. And uh, the Raiders defense isn't very good. So I could see, I could see, although they have been pretty good against the, uh, against Cam Newton and against Derek Carr. So maybe they're better than I'm giving them credit for. And maybe they do have a chance in this one. But I think Allen has a decent game, but Dayball is just calling a hell it, a hell of a season so far, and I, I think that's going right. to continue. Yeah. Uh, the Sunday night game is the Eagles and the 49ers. The Eagles had one wide receiver, one from the 53-man <laughs> roster. At and he's, he's not even like a natural receiver. He's a converted quarterback. Poor Greg Ward. Um, yeah, I... I don't have I don't have the soul left to say anything more about this game, so you're just gonna have to take it from here. The 49ers are a seven point favorite. I yeah, that's all I got, man. This might be like the easiest choice I've ever had when picking which player to put in the Kyle Shanahan microscope meme. Because oh Nathan God, Gary, Gary is yeah. the worst football player I've seen this season. He like does not. I, does he know he's playing football? <laughs> like he's just all over the place and Shanahan is going to make his is just gonna make him miserable. He's he's gonna be looking one way, he's gonna be sending motion, he's gonna be doing play action. I don't know if Gary if Gary comes within five yards of the ball on Sunday, that's a success. Like every play he he comes within five yards, he can count that as a success. I don't think it's gonna happen a lot. I'm picking the 49ers. 
Uh, this is the first time I'm picking against the Eagles this season just because I'm a stubborn idiot. And <laughs> I'm doing it. Is uh, is Carson Wentz – I mean, it, it just feels like a ridiculous question to even ask because he has no one to throw to, and that's so much of his problem is that he is just trying to make things happen. But is there any chance that this is a game where he starts to figure things out? Maybe just because of how banged up that 49ers right. defense is. I haven't really watched them since the injury, so I don't know like if they're even playing well or they just played the Giants last week. Right. Uh, but I would also say the wide receivers are probably like, oh, yeah, but we don't have anyone to throw us the ball anyway because this guy can't hit anything. So that Bengals game, oh, my God, that might have been his worst game of the season. And we were before it, we were asking what's wrong with Carson Wentz. Is he going to get better? And he somehow got worse. Right. Yeah, I mean, the extent to which the offense is totally broken is right. just fascinating. Um, Every piece of it. <laughs> right. And I mean, uh, Doug Peterson spent a bunch of time trying, supposedly trying to fix it by bringing in a bunch of different minds. And there's no offensive coordinator, but there's, you know, passing game coordinator. And it's just whatever it is, it's not working. The sad thing is like the offensive line might be the best part of it right now. It's not good, mind you, but it might be like the best part of it. Yeah, gosh. Uh, we'll look ahead at the Monday night game on our Monday episode. That's the Falcons-Packers. Uh, Dan Quinn, another coach that sure seems like he's on a very, very, very hot seat. Um, but, yeah, do join us Sunday uh, on Twitter. He's at the Steven Ruiz. I'm at Chris Corman. And on our site – ftw.usadaday.com where you will find all sorts of lovely uh, posts throughout the day from our blogging team of Andrew Joseph and Andy Nesbitt. Andy Nesbitt also does his hilarious uh, awards each night where he takes a look at what has happened in the NFL. It's a good place just to catch up on all the wackiness of the NFL. And then our Monday episode will drop where we try to make sense of whatever we learn from the league. It is getting, you know, I feel like we're getting to that point where we are starting to understand which teams are going to be there and which are not. Uh, I, I wish we had this Titan Steelers game to go off of that felt like it was going to be very uh, illustrative of, you know, for us, for figuring out the league. But uh, we will march forward as we go. Um, Steven, how do you want to close this out? What, what what thoughts did you not get out of your brain during this episode? Uh, Drew Locke had a 42.7 overall grade before he got hurt. just want to just throw that out there again because I didn't put a good? number on it. That's not good. good. It's out of 100. Out of, out of 100? Yeah, it's pretty bad. So I just wanted to remind people that he was not good before he got hurt. Oh, man. Your your feuds with the Denver, the people of Denver and Buffalo. Well, I have to hone in on the, the Drew Locke one because Josh Allen is like throwing five touchdowns. <laughs> I got to go. To, I got to pivot. You have to you have to adjust your your priors because the hard part Allen. is the, the Broncos have actually won Super Bowls. And they won a Super Bowl yeah. over my Panthers, so that's hard true. To make fun that's of true. Them. I was there. I remember that. That was your fault. Uh, yeah, it was my fault. But thanks for joining us here at the Counter. Appreciate you listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Take care. The Counter, an NFL podcast from USA Today Sports, featuring for the wind Stephen Ruiz and Chris Corman. 